Good morning, everyone. Um, well, thank you for uh, joining us this Sunday morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, you're an encouragement, especially with what seems to be the lack of attention the Bible deserves with its readily availability in our culture and throughout the world. Um, you know, bless you for your interest in, in worshiping with us, whether you're a member traveling or whether you're someone in the community, we'd love to study with you. Um, I'm not our locally um, supported full-time preacher. I guess that's a, a lot of conditions there, but um, that'll be Sean who will be preaching the second sermon during our assembly this morning. Um, but I, do, I am thankful for the opportunity um, for, to be able to stand before you and present God's word. Um, I'd also like to thank anyone who's watching the video. Um, the last time I was before this assembly, um, we were six months into the COVID-19 pandemic. Everyone was wearing masks. We were still three months away from a COVID vaccine. Uh, we're nine months away from everyone else getting vaccines. And so it's a pretty bleak time. But now three years later, uh, COVID is an endemic. We're assembled as we were before the pandemic. And we have God to thank through his creation as he made it possible to create a vaccine. And as he raised up people that were smart enough to succeed in that endeavor. You have to remember that God is in control of this world, even though he doesn't present himself some miracles today. So today I'm going to present to you, let me make sure I get the right one here. Bible, a biblical partitioning of human history. Um, in other words, we're going to look at the ages of man. So this lesson is a continuation of a series of lessons that I've put together that we are looking at the entire Bible as the whole. We're looking at a macro view, and the goal of this lesson is to identify a scriptural way to organize and remember the different ages of man. And to do so, we're going to consider um, man's access to God, God's law for man, and God's intention interactions between those transitions. Before we look at the errors of man, we're going to quickly review um, six easy steps to remember the context of time in the Bible. So previously, we looked at the age of the earth at intervals of 500 years and how they aligned with key historical figures in the Bible. Um, those figures are Jesus and Zerubbabel, David, Moses, the patriarchs, Noah, and Adam. And so as we look at these characters, um, we look at them, uh, look at how they're organized and presented to us in roughly about 500 year increments. And so to calibrate ourselves on how much time is 500 years, um, we looked at, you know, starting with today's time, um, what was going on. And, and as I put this together, um, looking at the Industrial Revolution, which was the last three, 300 years of time, and we look at the transition and how things changed so fast. And the idea of the Industrial Revolution is simply how we were transitioning as a society from the creating of things with, with our hands to the transition of using machines. But then in only the last 200 years, there was a transportation revolution, which we quickly advanced from horseless carriages to automobiles to atmospheric flight to supersonic flight and even to space flight. 
So in the last 100 years, we went from the telegraph to the telephone, the radio to the television. We went from towers to transmit signals to satellites. We went from the library to the internet and all the information that is available. And I'm only 50 years old, but I remember going down to the drugstore, bringing the vacuum tubes, and going to that little booth in the front and testing them so we can fix our radio and use that at home. And I see heads nodding. Um, who are, you know, and so we look at the vacuum tubes and then the semiconductors and digital computers and now quantum computers. Um, and I could talk more about this, but um, more importantly, you know, the contribution, the main contribution of all these things really stems around the present day availability of the Bible. So the ability to have access to God's word unfiltered is so important. I think we'll see that later on in the lesson. But then continuing our review, 500 years ago, European has just, Europeans were just starting to explore the North American continent. So that kind of calibrates in our head how long 500 years was. But the more important and germane contribution was the religious reformation and how the printing press enabled the Bible to be printed in mass. But the first problem, when it was initially done, you might think of the Gutenberg Bible, was it was in Latin. And that doesn't do anyone good, and especially wouldn't have done me any good. But just 75 years later, Tyndale released his New Testament scripture, or translation of the scripture. And, and from there on out, we have access to God's word unfiltered to anyone who could afford it. And the, further, the closer we come to time, the more available it is until we have today. But continuing our journey backwards in time, 500 years before that was the Middle Ages. And 500 years before that was the fall of Rome. And then we come to Jesus. And so we have this, this, So, so we have Jesus, who is you know, the, the key and uh, first and central Bible character in, in this review. And as we go back from Jesus, we have Zerubbabel at 500 BC. We have King David at 1,000. We have Moses at 1,500 BC. The patriarchs at 2,000. Noah at 2,500. And then 1,500 years before Noah, we have Adam. And so, as we look at all these key Bible characters, that's, that's 6,000 years that, since creation that, that we've lived here on this earth. Um, and so, understanding and reviewing this context of time um, will help us as we proceed and look at the different eras of man. Um, so, context we know is important for Bible study, but Picking out just moments in time is not very useful unless there's some theme or something that ties them together. And so we're going to, uh, as, as we look at these characters and where they exist in, in time, we're going to tie them in um, to, to the different Bible eras. And the, the challenges that I just wanted to r remind us of is from the patriarchs to Moses, we don't have detailed records except for we have scripture that tells us how long that is. 
And from Moses to David, we have the judges, which we're studying recently. And we, in 1 Kings, we are told that it's 480 years after the Exodus um, that Solomon starts the temple. And so with those um, two er, uh, time frames or intervals um, uh, specified in the Bible, there's no question about the age of, of the earth and how long ago God created it. Um, unfortunately, if you rely on um, the world around us and not on eyewitness accounts, in other words, God's account, um, you get, you get uh, delivered a, a message that is not accurate. Um, and so looking at these 6,000 years, you want to ask yourselves, how would you partition the Bible on a timeline? And so as we look at these Bible eras, um, and we look at the, the dates, we look at the people as they fall on those dates, um, th there's, there's six contextual partitions that I, I, I believe that w which feel very natural. Um, and unlike chapter breaks, um, these align with the way God interacts with man. And so um, we're going to look at, at these six contextual partitions based upon three ways God interacts with man. Um, so what we'll do is we'll survey the Bible from beginning to end. We're going to look at it um, three times and we're going to look at each one of the six contextual um, partitions. And so we're going to look at, the first pass will be how man has access to God. We'll look at God's law for man. We'll look at God's interaction with man and the world during these transitions between these times. And so looking at Um, looking at these six partitions, we have the Garden of Eden up here, which is a small period of time. And then we have the Flood, we have the Patriarchal Era, we have the Mosaic Era, we have the Messianic Era, which falls in a very short period of time, and then we have the Christian Era. And so let's look at man's access to God. Um, with respect to the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, man had direct access to God. God walked in the garden with man. Man also had direct access to the tree of life. We read in Genesis how it was put in the midst of the garden. Now, problem was, it seems very shortly after the creation, man sinned. And so man hid from God, and by sinning, he basically separated himself willfully from God. Had, and as Adam and his wife hid themselves from God, the presence of God, God then removed man from his presence. In the pre-flood era, man is now dealing with the consequence of sin and the curses that were, um, that were assigned or delivered by God in his judgment um, to the, all the parties involved. Man, however, still walked with God. And, and what this means, it, it, it's hard to understand. But as Moses uh, and wrote through inspiration, 
Um, the Holy Spirit describes this time as man still walking with God, and we stay, see that in Enoch and with Noah. Um, there's now sacrifices to God. It seems that since sin has entered the world, that there's now a need. And I find what's really interesting about the Garden of Eden is, is the fact that what's not mentioned there. What's not mentioned in the Garden of Eden is worship and sacrifices. Man was in God's presence, but once he was kicked out, these things now seem, uh, have been started. And so mankind um, continues to separate himself from God in this era to the point where it was so um, violent and, and um, sinful that God looked at his creation and was sorry. God said that he's not going to strive to be with man. And what that tells me was God was trying to have a close relationship like he created with man in the garden and continue that. But, but man, through sin, um, separated himself from God. And so God destroyed the world with the flood, and the patriarchal era starts. We see sacrifices continuing. We see that priests are now all of a sudden needed. Man walks before God. He no longer walks with God. And we see this as, Mo as, uh, as Moses describes um, how Abraham's relationship with God was. However, God would visit man, such as the angels to Abraham, but we see the fear that man has with either God or with the angels whenever he shows himself to their presence. And, and, and the fear that man, it, that we see in individuals in the scripture, um, as they seem to have an understanding of the animosity between man and God because of sin. And so from the patriarchal age, we transition into, or we go to the mosaical era. And the priests and sacrifices are now associated with each other. And also the types where things are worshiped. And what I mean by that is the temple was, um, the temple and the tabernacle uh, were built as a type of the actual things that were in heaven. And so man continues to walk before God. And we see that as described by David and Solomon. But God, and God continues to visit man. And in this case, God's presence is actually um, manifested um, over the Ark of the Covenant, on the, on the mercy seat, and through the pillar of fire and cloud in, uh, in, the, in the wilderness. And so, as we see these changes um, going on, God eventually, because of man's sin and his separation, and as we read in Judges, everyone doing what was right in their own eyes, we see God having to send the prophets. And the prophets, it's really interesting to understand, the prophets, um, there's what's called the, the five-fold message of the prophets. And the prophets, as, as they came um, and talked in the northern and southern kingdom, um, they, they fir their first message was that they were a witness to the sins of the people and that God had sent them. Their second message was God was going to punish them for their sins. Third point was if they repent, God would relent from punishing them. But the message of the prophet was that the people are not going to repent. And because of that, God is going to punish you. 
and in some cases destroy them, as with the northern kingdom. But the fifth message, and the most important, was that there was going to be a remnant. And through that remnant, God was going to bring the Messiah. And so, the, the, the Messianic era um, is then um, presented. And this is, this is, uh, th this is uh, represented by the virgin birth of Jesus and him being called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And so what that means is man, once again, has direct access to God, albeit temporarily, but God is walking with man on the earth. And he preaches repentance. However, man forces himself, forces a separation between God and himself again through evil men. And Jesus has to go through the ultimate sacrifice and presents himself freely. But there were, before he, he left and before that separation took place, he promised a helper that would come. We'll look more at the, this during the transition, but then in the Christian era, we see that animal sacrifices are no longer required. God dwells in man, and man is adopted through confession and baptism. What's implied there is for confession, you have to hear and believe something to confess it. And in order to be righteously baptized, you have to repent and then be baptized. And, and after doing those, man is then adopted as children of God. But man still, because of the temptations of the world, is separated through sin during this era. But God is a righteous God and long-suffering and merciful, and man is restored through confession and repentance. The helper, the Holy Spirit, during the early parts of this time, he guides man to a complete understanding of salvation. We get the complete word. And Jesus, during this time frame, is described to us that he will remove people's names from the book of life, if, if appropriate. And that as for congregations, that he will remove their candlesticks if they don't shape up. And so we see Jesus um, administering in the spiritual world discipline and um, judgment on people that are still alive and still have hope and a chance to repent and return to him. And understanding church discipline is really important um, with respect to this point because whenever we separate ourselves from someone, we're not doing that to initiate discipline. We're simply following up to what Jesus has likely already done with individuals in regards to their position in his kingdom. And so, as sad as that may be, we, we have to understand that in this era, Jesus is active in, um, in uh, administering um, to the membership of his church. And so the application with regards to man's access to um, God is that man has always had access to God in varying degrees. And man loses access to God when he sins. Man regains access when, God, when he repents, 
And also, that we have to remember that God's desire is to have a relationship with man. So, as we go and look at this in a second pass, we're going to look at God's law for man. And so, once again, starting at the Garden of Eden, we see that God put laws in place. And as he put those laws in place, we see that he gives dominion um, to man. He commands man to procreate, to, to eat uh, of the food of the creation, and to have family equality. And we can see that um, with respect to the, the curses, where after this, during the transition, the woman is then subjected to man as the curse. And so what that means to me is in the garden, God's law was for family equality. And man's work, so God doesn't just give laws. God expects man to work. And with respect to, to those laws, his, his work was to procreate, to till the ground, to cultivate the garden. And out of that, to freely eat in the garden. He, he named the animals, and he was um, together with his wife. They were supposed to have family unity. Um, that's what it means to me whenever he talks about a helpmate suit, uh, fitting for Adam. And then as we transition from the garden to the pre-flood era, we see God's law change. Um, they're no longer in the garden, so the rules have to change. Uh, we now see a family hierarchy. Because of sin, modesty is required now. Because of sin, worship is now required. And God directly tells Cain that you need to have control over sin. And in this era, we see specific call-outs to murder. We see wickedness and evil. And we see violence on the earth. And because of that, God sends the flood. But before the flood, man's work was to rule the family, till the ground, now he's going to have to labor for food. He was still required to procreate. And the, and, the, and the sacrifices he was expected of him, they were expected to be quality sacrifices. And so after the flood, we see a, a complete teardown and rebuilding of the earth. Um, we see God's law, because of that teardown and only saving Noah and his family, he gives the command again to procreate. He emphasizes the dominion that man still has in this new world, and that man is to go out and to, to conquer it. Um, he then it seems to expand food to include animals at this point, but he specifically commands them not to eat the blood of the animals, which I, you know, personally, I see that as the blood being symbolic of a future requirement where blood is going to be reserved specifically um, as, a, as a memorial for Jesus' sacrifice. And so man is still required to have control over sin, but God creates a covenant that he's not going to destroy the earth again with water. But we know that that destruction is going to be through, the, through fire and, and complete destruction of this physical universe. And so man's work, as he continues, is to have quality sacrifices, 
procreate to labor. And we see priests actually uh, being formed at this, um, uh, having more formal positions at this time with Melchizedek and Jethro. And so as we look at, continue to look at God's law for man, um, we now in the Mosaic era have the forming of the Ten Commandments. We have the Pentateuch. And the way I see these together is the Ten Commandments are all-inclusive. They explain what man is supposed to do. And with the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it explains who, why, and how man is, or the Israelites are supposed to follow the Ten Commandments. And so for man's work, the Levites are set aside as priests. And now we have formal, quality worship um, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And we get more details of how, our uh, how the sacrifices are supposed to be of first fruits and free will offerings. Man continues to be responsible for cultivating the land, which Israel failed to do, to teach the children, which they failed to do, to teach foreigners, which they failed to do. And, and I say failed as a nation. And they're supposed to fear God and keep his commandments. And unfortunately, they don't. And so we get repentance that is taught by the prophets. And then we're led into the messianic era now, where God's law has now been unfortunately augmented by man's law. Israel has created oral traditions called Mishnah. They've created written traditions called the Talmud. And so now you have this distortion of what God wants for man to be worshipped, uh, how, how man should worship. And so we look at the, the work is still the same. They're still under the old law. Jesus is there to fulfill the old law. Um, and the one additional thing here is by this point in time, the prophets have been completed, and they're supposed to be looking for the Messiah, who they don't recognize, and they kill. And so then that takes us into the Christian era, where just like the floods impact from the old earth to the new earth was complete teardown and complete rebuild, the Christian era with God's law is very similar. There's a quote that I heard that says, um, history does not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. I think that's how you can think of it between the flood and the change of the physical world and Christ's sacrifice and the change of, of God's um, laws for man. And so now God's law is, is delivered by the Spirit um, through inspiration and through the apostolic authority. Um, it is taught by man. The gospel... The good news is, is understood. Um, we have the forgiveness of sins, not just the atonement of sins. The adoption, we are adopted as children. We are adopted into a royal priesthood we serve. Um, we're still accountable and responsible for resisting sin. And now we have the church, which is a, a stepping stone to the kingdom, um, the eternal kingdom that we will... Um, uh, be in, entering into someday. So man's work is obedience, which it's really always been. 
but he's responsible and it's reiterated in the New Testament to provide for the family, not just physically, but spiritually, to teach your children about God's new law, to teach your neighbors, not just your, your foreigners in the land that you come across, but teaching your neighbors, those all around you, and to look for the Messiah's return. So the application here is man has always had laws to set boundaries, and man has free will and accountability. Man has always had to work, even in the garden. God's desire for man is to work and not to be idle. So the question is, whenever we're looking at the, you know, we're listening to the lessons over the next four months that we're that Sean and others are going to be presenting. What's our evangelism maturity? And so, resisting sin, we understand it requires mental and spiritual work. And so, finally, we come to God's interaction during transitions. So again, going back to the Garden of Eden, Satan deceives Eve. Adam and Eve eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God confronts them with their sin. Now, God outlines the consequences of all the parties involved. He provides clothes for Adam and Eve, but this transition is very swift. God basically evicts Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And I don't know what it was like those next few days. Um, but as part of the family unity, my, my presumption is that Adam and his wife cleaved to each other and became extra close because there was no one else on earth, if you can think about that, talking about being alone and being kicked out of God's presence. It's a horrible thought to think of. But um, moving on from that transition, if we look at the transition from before the flood to the patriarchal era, we, we see that God determines to destroy the world with water because of man's sin. However, his interactions, he's going to preserve man. He's not going to recreate, he's going to preserve man and animal kind through the ark. Um, the world as it's known before the flood perishes. That world no longer exists. The world after the flood is a different world. Um, the earth was reset to a state similar creation. It's just not quite exact. And the earth, um, as it now exists after the flood, and because of the consequences of the flood, has to recover. And this is going to take hundreds and thousands of years. And so the earth, as it is immediately after the flood, and as it is today, it's, it's different. It, it, the earth is still, to some degree, recovering from the flood today. And so my, my view of global warming isn't a, a localized problem of this last century. This is just consequences of man's sin um, from 4,500 years ago in the flood. And so earth, um, you know, I, I, for more information, Jason uh, and Michelle presented to the, the teenagers uh, this uh, uh, video called Is Genesis History? <coughs> Great video if you want to understand more about the differences of the, uh, and what happened during the flood. But regardless, the patriarchal 
to the Mosaical era. We see God in this transition, unlike the garden being a swift transition, this transition starts very early on. Like 500 years before the transition, God looks to Abraham and calls him out of Ur. Israel's family is saved in Egypt, which fulfills the, the great nation promise. The wealth of the world is channeled into Egypt during the famine. And that wealth is going to be used to furnish the tabernacle and the temple of God. And God's hand is in that. It wasn't that Israel was great or that Egypt was great. It's that God was using that nation to fulfill, to, to fulfill his will. And so we see um, uh, Israel delivered from Egypt through Moses and given the Ten Commandments. And then the conquest uh, with Joshua to the land promise. And so you know, this transition happening over a thousand years, we then look at the Mosaic to the Messianic era. We see the prophets, as I mentioned previously, being sent to Israel and to Judah, and Israel being taken away to captivity to be dispersed, and the southern kingdom taken into Babylonian captivity with a remnant to return to, to, to Judah to bring forth the Messiah. And I already talked about the five-fold message of the prophets. Um, but the one thing I want to mention, you'll see maybe a little red triangle in the top there at the time frame of Zerubbabel. And one of the things that's impressed on me in, in recent years is um, the reason for captivity, besides of mistreating their brethren, was of Israel's idolatry. That was cured of Israel by God through captivity. It was focused on by God to be cured. And that sat with me for, you know, I, I can understand that. But what occurred to me recently is, if that did not happen, and, and Israel just continued as they were without that captivity up until the Messiah, do you remember what happened to the idol of Dagon when the Ark of the Covenant was in its presence? It's kind of funny. God knocked it down and chopped it up. And, you know, could you imagine Jesus, deity, the Son of God, how much more, how different his behavior would have been in cleansing the temple if there was idols in the temple when he came? And, and, and I believe. Part of the preparation for the Messiah is that there would be no idolatry in Israel, that there would be no gods in the temple um, whenever he came. And so as that transition happens, we then see 500 years later, um, angels announcing the birth of John and Jesus, the birth of John and Jesus starting the fulfillment of prophecy. In the Messianic and Christian era uh, transition, which overlaps with the, tra the previous transition, that Jesus is declaring as twel at 12 years old, he has to be about his father's business. John and Jesus teeping, teaching baptism unto repentance, and Jesus filling, fulfilling the law and the prophets through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
the selection of apostles to be uh, to to have the twelve to be witnesses um, for um, uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Pentecost coming, and then the church forming and the the complete word being reve revealed, all happening um, within a hundred years, and so relatively quick compared to the, some of the other transitions. So the application and of looking at these transitions is that God is adjusting the rules and the boundaries for man. And context is critical in applying authority to God's law whenever you're looking at, at events and, and requirements that happen during these transitions. A good example of that is for us regarding the spiritual gifts. Those were there temporarily, at, waiting for the full, for the, for the, complete word of God to come. And so God, in all of this, commands respect and attention. We look at Nadab and Abihu. We look at Annas and Ias and Sapphira. And while we don't have people being struck down today, we have to understand the seriousness of sin. And so the world will be destroyed when Jesus returns. And so as we look at these Bible eras, and we look um, at these six, what seem to be natural um, uh, partitions in God's word that are based upon how man access, has access to God, how God's law for man um, changed to, to fit the needs of, of God and man, and then how God worked during these transitions. And hopefully this will help you in your Bible study as you go to certain verses, whether it's a verse in, the, in, in Psalms, or whether it's a verse in the prophets, um, verses in Genesis, you can have a context of where, um, where what access man has to God and God's law for that, him at that time. However, something is missing from my slides, and you probably have you know, already guessed what that is. There's an era of eternity, and we don't know when that era is going to start. It's, it's unknown. Um, Matthew 24 and verse 44, it says, there you, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now the question is, are you going to be ready? In my slides, it was you know, a lot of information, and I, I apologize if it, it's felt like I, I've been feeding you with a fire hose this morning. But then there is this one point that's so important to, to, to Christ's invitation. That is, man is adopted through confession and baptism. And so, if you are with us this morning, and you are um, you're ready. If you're ready to put on Christ, um, th at this time we would encourage you to come forward, We'll take your confession. The water is ready. So we have nothing but love and encouragement for you at this time if you are ready. Um, if you are, please do so as we stand and sing. Live for Jesus.